Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week for Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have a special uh, guest, Karab Mars. And Karab has, a, uh, I would say, one of those stories that really makes you stop and think about things. And uh, Karab and I, um, you know, are both podcasters and she has a fascinating story. So Karab, thanks so much for being on today. Thank you, Roxanne. Um, you might want to change that. It's Carib. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> All right, worry. you see, I, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, that's how you say it. All right, yeah. well, I'm, my apologies. So uh, no uh, I'll read her uh, bio really quickly and then we'll jump right in, into things. Uh, uh, she's a veteran of uh, the foster care system, which uh, you, you know I've worked a lot with in, in the duration of my career. And Despite all her obstacles, she's found a way to be happy. And I think that's oftentimes something when you hear the stories of children who have been through care, it's, it's oftentimes uh, riveting. And um, in her case, it's, she's been through it multiple times. She's about to uh, launch a podcast and a YouTube channel uh, where she actually talks about it uh, firsthand. And I think, you know, as a, a psychotherapist, um, I hear about it kind of secondhand, but I think firsthand is the important thing where you actually hear somebody that's been through the system and what, what can you do? Um, Cause I'm sure there's people that have been through that often think what, well, you know, what, what, how, what chances does someone have that has been through the system and uh, Carib can share what she's done to live, uh, you know, the best life possible by putting things behind her and what's it going to take to succeed um, on, on, uh, your own terms. So, Carib, thanks so much again for taking the time. So let's let's just jump right into it because uh, you know your story in of itself speaks to itself. And tell the listeners kind of you know how your kind of story started and um, what kind of brought you up today to to really wanting to share with others about the um, what it's like to be in the system and what it doesn't have to be for you long term. Sure. Sure. So I put myself into care when I was eight years old. Um, my mother was extremely abusive. There's something called the ACEs. Uh, I'm a nine on that scale. That's adverse childhood effects. So the only thing, if you think about all the bad things that can happen, the only thing that didn't happen to me is no one died in front of me. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, all sorts of things like that. So when I was eight years old, I walked into the police station and I said, no more. I cannot live with this woman. Um, put me in foster care. I only knew about foster care from television, like movies of the week. And so I had an idea of what it would be like. And it wasn't like that. I lived in um, 18 homes in nine years. Some of them were decent. Some of them were were pretty hard to live with. Um, one of them called me the N-word. Uh, and then like with my mom, just an example of how she was, I'm half black 
and she would call me slave girl and make me call her your majesty. She was white. Um, and she would beat me for things like if my infant brother had a dirty diaper when I got home from school, she would beat me 10 times with a cable cord. And if I moved, she'd start over. So it was just a very, very hard, hard existence to have. And so I thought that living in foster care would be better. And like I said, it wasn't particularly better. I mean, it was better because I honestly believe that had I lived with my mom, I probably wouldn't have survived past the age of 10. Uh, she was grooming me for prostitution. Just some really hard, hard things. Um, and I had a, a stepfather who was more interested in me than he was in her. So, so yeah, for me, it was the best thing to go into foster care. And I didn't find uh, really any of the support with the foster parents that I had. So, you know, like uh, the ACEs for everybody, that's a, a common um, assessment tool that's done for uh, ch young children with trauma. And yours at nine is you're at the, you know, the upper end of, of anything that could happen. And complex PTSD is when there has been trauma, um, multiple traumas under the age of five for anybody listening that may not know. So definitely, uh, Karab, you would, obviously, if, if an assessment was done at that time, you would definitely um, probably have that that label attached. Not that I'm into labels, just for right. you know uh, context sake. Now, when you think of that and what I know, but I want you to share it, how did that impact your internal space mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually? You're a little kid. Right. And it, it had to have um, impacted a lot of things. So how did, how, how did you think about I think, I think I'm really fortunate in that I, I don't, I can't explain why, but for me, I never took uh, the label victim for myself, or I never, I never blamed myself for the things that happened. So the first thing that happened uh, when I was five, my mom had decided that she would want to commit suicide. And so she, uh, she thought she had a good father figure in mind for me. And so she sent me, she sent me on a camping trip with uh, a man who was more interested in me as a woman. And so at the age of five, I, he raped me. And so, um, so that was, that, that was there, but it was never a thing. I think for so many people, they are like, well, if somebody did that to me, then I must be, I must be that kind of person. It must be my fault. I never ever looked at the things that happened to me as being my fault. It doesn't say that I'm not, uh, I definitely feel accountable and like in, in a part of growing and, and getting wiser and, and moving on with life is realizing that I definitely have made my own mistakes. I've made my own choices but the things that happened to me weren't my choices. Absolutely, and that's what I, like in working with uh, survivors, obviously that five-year-old child was a yeah. child. So, I mean, and you know, you're, you're saying, I understand what you're saying, you don't take responsibility for an adult's actions, absolutely not, but I hear two things and I want you to clarify that because obviously that child that's developing is gonna think something's wrong with me that the person that's supposed to caregive for me puts me in harm's way and intentionally puts, puts me in harm's way. 
Right. That, that's true. Um, I, I still have issues with that. I still have issues. Like when, when Mother's Day comes along, I'm like, what was so wrong with me that I couldn't be loved and that I would be put into these situations? I just don't think that the, I don't think that the, 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 the actual thing that happened, I didn't stand there and say, hey, find me attractive as a five-year-old, you know, oh, so I, yeah, most five-year-olds look at it. Right. I mean, five-year-olds are upside down. They're silly. They're, they're not they're, I mean, for any five-year-old to be in that space, they don't, they think these are parts of me and they don't right. see sexuality. Any child that's five years old, that's having that dialogue has unfortunately been exposed to something that's inappropriate. Right. And I was going to say, when we were foster parents, we did, we did have experiences with kids who knew way, way, way too much. I didn't know anything before that camping trip. Of course, you're five. I mean, yeah. what five-year-olds, you know, generally they're talking about, you know, uh, games. My little pony. <laughs> all those things, right? Right, yeah. So you went through all these things. And um, so let's go back to the original question. How yeah. the thoughts and the feelings obviously gets impacted by the trauma. How right. did you start to step out of it? Um, what what oh. paths did you start to take to, to get a hold of it? Because of course, with trauma, the symptoms are tough, right? We, yeah. A lot of people suffer from, obviously, about 99.9% of people suffer from depression, anxiety, uh, suicidality, destructive behavior, uh, violence, all that stuff. Not because they say, I want to be those things, but those are the symptoms that often develop right. to help them cope with the pain. I think that part of it was that I've always been a really avid reader, like since I was five. And so I knew that there were, there were other options out there. Mm -hmm. So I think that I just had kind of obsessive tunnel vision towards this is what I want out of life and nothing, there's no reason that I don't deserve that. I don't not deserve that because okay. of all of these things, but it is kind of a roller coaster. I have been depressed. I left school. Um, I made it into a fine arts school for theater when I was 17. And I left by overdosing because it was just another place where I was like, this is supposed to be my community. These are supposed to be my people. And I still didn't fit in. I still had that imposter right. going on. And that's something that I still struggle with today. So mentally there's, when you say, how do you, how do you get through it? I think for me, it's just, you just keep going. And, and that's the thing is that I recognize sometimes that some days I can't, you know, some days I have to give myself grace and go, all right, I really do still have PTSD. I really am still dealing with things, even though people on the outside look at me and go, wow, How'd you pull it together? Like you would not seem like you're this person. A lot of people think I've got a master's degree. I don't, you know, they think all of these things um, or that I'm articulate, all these things. And I'm just like, I, I just have the basics that I think every single human being deserves. Mm -hmm. And I almost think it's, it's a disservice to us that people expect us to be on the low end of things. Right. And I think, you know, and maybe you can speak to this, that I think a lot of times what we call a disassociation or compartmentalizing where the thought and the feelings get split off 
to be able to cope with something that's bigger than most human beings, none of us, any of us that were one trauma, not, you know, not so much ongoing trauma, um, you know, atrocity. And some of the things that you've been through is not just child abuse, it's atrocity. Right. Um, along with a lot of things, that's the cumulative effect of that. You know, it's kind of like I get up, I hit my head again. I get up, I hit my head again, and it keeps cumulative. And then eventually, yes, those symptoms develop. But some people have the ability. If you can think of lots of people in the world that they go on, they might overuse something, but it's functional in society. So if I, if I, let's say I'm a trauma victim, but I go out and I become a CEO of a company, but I could be overworking myself to death per se, right? then I'm functional, I'm functional. But if I, let's say, um, go out and I develop an eating disorder, that's not so functional, right? Right, right. So my functionality, like right now, the hardest thing is here in Seattle, we're, we're caught up in the, um, the coronavirus, right? And everything that I do, because I'm a huge, like I find mentoring and using my story gives me purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That purpose is kind of like, what am I going to do? I'm really grateful that I'm starting a YouTube channel because I'm going to have a lot of time sitting at home because we are confined. Right. But normally I'm volunteering. I teach theater at my child's school. I teach for 4-H and normally I'm just doing whatever I can because a lot of times, and I found this throughout my entire life, is that if I can help other people, I don't have to think about what's going on for me. So right. I lived in a foster home that was pretty awful, really, I mean, really, really awful. And I, um, they used us for doing work and for babysitting their kids. And anytime somebody would say, wow, she, she stands out. She's a good kid. How did you, I mean, I didn't know there were good kids. She'd say, oh, but you don't know how she really is. You don't know that she locks herself in the closet and cries sometimes, you know, you don't know what, like, they just had to bring me down. Right, right. And so that overcompensating is I do want people to see, I want to be the best part. Honestly, as cheesy as this sounds, like, I think a lot of success that I got out of life is because I was obsessed with Disney princesses. Mm. So I would see them and I would see that they would be, I mean, really, their stories are stories of resilience, especially the old ones, right? Right, right. And I would see that I didn't care that they were beautiful because I couldn't relate to that because they were all white. <laughs> but I would see that they were kind always, that they were always helping others. They were doing all of these things. And I just sort of wanted to become something like that. I know that's cheesy. <laughs> oh, well, no, but what you're talking about is as having a vision in your mind. And I often say um, from my background is I often, and you know, I was just on a, another uh, podcast uh, earlier. And I said, this is something I always shared with my survivors when I worked with them. I said, we come into this life and we are perfect. We come, we come in a light. We come in perfect. If you think of babies, right? They come in and they, you know, they have the instinct and they, they communicate by their sounds and they start to be able to let us know what they need and what happens to life. Unfortunately, all of us, I mean, I can think of my situation was, you know, not ideal, but the people around us are supposed to learn what it is to keep us in that vein, to be able to evolve into who we need to, to be. And that space I always think is within us. It may be get pricked and prodded 
it may get you know muted or or a dull but nobody can truly take that light yeah so i can i understand what you're saying and i agree with it but i think that i had a therapist once explain it to me as um you know most families when they have that baby from the time that they're starting they are building up these self-confidence things they're looking at the children mm -hmm. and they're saying um you know wow look at you walk across the floor oh you're such a good walker you're so, and they're building these shelves yes. but for people who have extreme neglect mm -hmm. those shelves are never built right. so we have to work like 110 times harder mm -hmm. in order to get one thing to stick mm -hmm. and that is a really really hard thing because it's just like we work, we do, you, you said, you know, the, the workaholic, we work ourselves to death. And I think those of us that overcome oftentimes do because we, we have so much to prove mm -hmm. that other people don't necessarily have, you know, people all, first look at us and go, um, they expect the worst. Right. And, and that's not necessarily the case, right? Like, as, oh. of course, we know, like in our media, we see all the, the, the big names, people like Oprah talked about um, being assaulted when she was young and those types of things. So there is, what we know is you are not defined by your trauma, but it really takes, it's what steps do I take, you know, um, to, to be able to overcome that trauma. So I think, you know, there are different ways that different, generally, I think a lot of people, the symptoms are so high. So that's what kind of what we see, right? Kind of in the world, the addictions, the mental health concerns, um, lots of different things. A lot of employees at work that may not be able to kind of, like you said, um, function as well because they're having these tough days, right? Like, so we do see a, a variety of things because generally, and you tell me, and I want to hear from your perspective, is that depletion becomes something that becomes familiar. Replenishment is something that's unfamiliar where you have to learn how to give to yourself so and be able to know, okay, well, I'm filled and yeah. this is the base that I need to be at so that I can give. Whereas uh, sometimes trauma victims will share, I don't even know what it is to be filled up, but I just keep giving. Yeah. Maybe it's a thing of like when I turned 40, there definitely became a point of, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have to please everyone all the time. And um, that has filled me up. Like, for me, people are like, why would you volunteer a skill that you have that you could get paid well for? And I'm like, because it fills me. It specifically fills me to go into schools and to work with kids who, don't ha who would never have the opportunity. I live in a very very comfortable Microsoft, Amazon community. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some people who live in trailer parks and have nothing, you know, yeah. and they can't go and take a lesson here. So that, that's what fills me and I know it. And, but then I do, I feel depleted at the same time because I do want, I do want the appreciation that sometimes doesn't come with it, you know? Yeah, and sometimes that, that's a normal thing, right? We do things, and we want to be able to get the feedbacks, but sometimes it's, it's, it's far, it's few and far between, right? So it's, right. Being able, it's being able to kind of say to yourself, I'm doing this because I want to, um, right. versus expecting that I'm going to get validation from others, right? Sometimes yeah. you do, sometimes you don't, but as, let's be blunt. As human beings, we all want to be validated. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about some of the steps. Like, so you went through all these homes mm -hmm. and you must have taken certain steps to be able to get a hold of some of the things that you struggled with. What kind of things did you do? Sure. Um, well, I've had a lot of therapy. That was the one thing that anytime that if, if I worked a job that offered, I was in a therapist's office. So that really helped having a vision and having especially some boundaries yeah. Um, from the very beginning, I remember once a boy asked me out in, in high school, but I knew that he, like I had committed to, I had committed to remaining a virgin. I didn't, but at that time I had. And so I was just like, I really, really like you. You're such a nice guy, but you don't fit into my vision. And I just told him that I was like, you're not ambitious enough and you don't fit into the vision of what I have for my life. So it would be a waste of both of our time. Yeah. And so being really, really honest has been something that has really helped me. It's hurt me and that some people are freaked out because I'm really straightforward. And some people are just like, you know, I marched to the beat of my own drum and I always have. A thing that really helped me was that I've always written. Mm -hmm. So I've been like writing my own stories for a long time. Um, not, not fictional stories, but I've been speaking since I was eight about, or not, not eight, I'm sorry. I've been speaking since I was in eighth grade about, um, about my experiences mm -hmm. because some of us are just, I don't know if we're lucky, but we're just born a little differently and that we can find the silver lining in things, mm -hmm. you know, and so you started to, that voice that was taken away from you, you found relatively early, and, and I, I'm going to point the strengths out, right? Like um, a lot of kids would not have got, put themselves into foster care. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a resiliency point. And, right. uh, and then you, you know, you found the fine arts quite early. So you right. found something you were passionate about that allowed you to express, and then you started to speak. Right. right. And I know you've been uh, with your husband, uh, you know, for a long time and he's been right. supportive, those types of things. What other support systems did you have personally or professionally that also would have accommodated? So it's interesting. A question that I ask when I interview people is, do you have a one person? So when I was in fifth grade, a girl called me a nigger and she um, told everybody that my mom sold Coke and was in prison. It wasn't Coke, it was marijuana. <laughs> so I like uh, lost, I lost it. I jumped over a desk, I pulled her hair. It took two teachers to pull me off of her. I had a reputation, some people call me because Carib is hard, <laughs> so some people call me Carrie. And so I had a reputation for the rest of the year, people called me Scary Carrie. Okay, okay. And you know, it really hurt that like, I was defending myself. And I got this reputation. So then I got into sixth grade and I had this amazing teacher, Mr. Garza. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know what? He like, he had the posters, the, the inspirational posters around his room. Like whatever you think, uh, whatever you think you can, you're right or you're wrong. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right or you're wrong. Right. 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 He pulled me out of the room and he said, your life is in your hands. Mm. You know, how you, how people see you is, is on you. And that completely changed things for me 
because it didn't matter that I had really awful foster parents at home saying things that by the time I was 13, I'd have two kids and be on welfare for the rest of my life. Because it was like, I'm not going to be with these people forever. So well, he was another ino inoculated factor then that he really yeah, Mr. Garza was Mr. Garza changed it for me from that day. So I went from having that reputation to getting every single character award that year in school. And from then on, that became a part of my identity. I remember one day in school, an English teacher had the kids, had everybody write, an write something, um, just a, a descriptive thing about a classmate. And this girl raises her hand and she said, this person is nice to everyone. She always makes people feel good and um, she's funny and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's, everyone in my entire class's hand went up mm -hmm. and including mine. And somebody said, me. And she goes, um, no. And everybody's hand went down except for mine. And I said the person that it was because I saw that person. I didn't see all this stuff about me. But when I, when I saw that the entire classroom's hands went down, it was incredibly powerful, you know. Absolutely. What an empowering thing to have happen. It really especially, was. especially combating all the things that, you, like you said, you're like, you're pushing against, um, you know, attention at home and, yes. and internally potentially too. And then you start to have these positive things kind of come your way. Now yeah. for, for people listening, right? If there's kids listening, Carab, or if there's employers listening, right? Or, or you, cause we bring ourselves to work. You brought sure, yourself yeah. Through this, what right. kind of things would you? What kind of advice would you give uh, to people that may know someone's going through something, but they don't know what to do? As an employer, for instance, you've had bosses that maybe sure. you know that when you were taking responsibility and trying to get your help along right. the way, what what kind of things would you suggest to them to help someone that you know may they may not know the extent of what someone's going through, but they know that right. they're struggling. I think what, that they, yeah, we should. I mean, as cliche as it is, it's, it's about being judgmental, you know, like we really do need to look at people for their character. Yeah. Um, and we also need to give people opportunities to let their character shine because sometimes we just, the hardest thing I think about growing up in foster care or poor or, you know, disadvantaged in any way is that you get a label. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you're constantly fighting that label. I fight that label as a minority woman. You know, like when people will say, oh, you know, you're a black woman. I'll say, actually, I'm biracial. And I'll like tell them flat out, you know, if you take an apple and you cut it in half, there's two sides. Mm -hmm. And um, we shouldn't have to defend ourselves to that level all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're not given the benefit of the doubt. I understand that because I also really struggle with giving people the benefit of the doubt. I will embrace people and bring them in and help them however I can. But if they prove to be untrustworthy, I'm done. You know, I, that is something that, that is something that resilience, ha I don't know if that's resilience or not, but whatever it is, that's something that that I, I've learned, but I think that for most people, it's a matter of letting people be in the space where they're at. And I also think that giving people the benefit of the doubt. So if you don't know if that person- Talking about kindness then, like really, yes. 
right? Like if, whether it's someone that has been through as many things that you have been through by age five, or you just know that someone's struggling. And it's I really do, but at the same time, like I hate the ACEs thing because it tells so many people that you've been through so much. It's okay for you to be, you know, to take the label of victim and to like kind of wallow in that. Yeah. And so I think that kindness, like I love my son very, very much, but I don't just give him everything. He doesn't get an, he doesn't just get that escape on everything. I think a huge thing that people need to do is expect more from people, but in, in a positive way, not just say, oh, you've been through a lot. So that's totally understandable that you can't get here on time. Mm-hmm. It's not true. You know? <laughs> so to already kind of look at the, you know, you talked about so many resiliency factors, right? Right. I, I call them inoculative factors. It's kind of like, you know, you get a burst, you get that experience at school and what a nice thing. That's like a, that's like a nice roasting, right? Like of all right. the phenomenal things you got. Um, you, you went and you said, get me out of there. I need, I need a home, not knowing what you're going to, but you knew you couldn't survive, like you said. And you, you, you know, which again is immense amount of strength at your age. Um, you know, then, you know, you started to write. Right. So somewhere in there, and you know that writing is one of the most cathartic, oh yeah, liberating things you can do. So you read and you wrote, right? And um, and then you you found the art. So again, I, I guess what I what I hear, and I you know, maybe I want your perspective on this, I want people to recognize that when we look at the stats of how many people have been through traumatic events, it's one out of three in women and one out of six in men. That's high. Now that we're, you know, talking about it openly is that more than likely, if you're a leader, you have people on your teams dealing with it. If you're an HR manager and you're having somebody struggle, um, you know, all those people, we are all people and we bring ourselves to work that we have to be more kind and gentle, but not look at it as a deficit. Because to your point, you have strengths that I don't have because of some of the things that you've been through. Right. Yeah, I think that's a perfect, perfect perspective. Like people oftentimes look at us and think that, I mean, for a lot of people, and a lot of people, when you hold, when you hold your trauma on your shoulder or wear it as, you know, as a badge, then people do, they kind of go, like the best they can give you is, well, you've been through a lot, right. you know? Right. But the truth is, is that every single person can overcome. I mean, maybe not people who are severely mentally or, you know, physically, but, but every single healthy type person can overcome. You need people in your corner. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally you need therapy, but if you can't do therapy, you can go to the library and get books. You can listen to Ted talks. You can listen to podcasts. You know, there are things that you can do to, I'm, I'm what you call um. I may pronounce it wrong, but an autodidact, meaning okay. self-taught, right? And everybody can be self-taught, especially in today's day and age. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, never underestimate uh, the power of, a, of a social connection and um, whether it's online forums or because people want the anonymity or, um, you know, different women's organizations or if it's men that are survivors, you know, find the right support. 
um, find a friend, you know, like, I mean, and if you don't have a friend that's listen, try to scourge these different environments to find someone that really gets it, you know, in whatever realm, because there's no one path that um, you can take to get to recover. Right. Um, there's lots of different ways, whether it's reading, listening, going, listening to somebody else, talk about it, listen to a good podcast. Um, you know, he hearing our podcast today, I'm sure there's going to people go, go, wow. Like, you know, I wonder now how many people have actually been through things and how could I in my day to day um, life be kind? Because I'm not really sure what that person has been through, but I think kindness often cuts through the issue regardless of what it is. Yeah. So I, Grab, I'm sure we could probably go on and on, but um, what if there's any people out there um, that are thinking um, I'm not good enough or, I, you know, I can't get over this or what, what kinds of words of wisdom would you give them? And, you know, because you've been there and you continue to kind of inspire other women um, or I say people to, 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 right. to live their best life. What kind of words of wisdom do you have for them? Well, I think that when we feel at our absolute worst, we need to take ourselves out of ourselves. And, and I learned this, you know, from being in theater and, and acting. So I can see, we need to observe other people because generally I believe that most people think well of us. So, and if you can think about those people and think about, well, this person thinks I'm really smart this person thinks I'm really funny. You know, if you can do that and then you can start collecting those things and go, well, if they think that, and I, and I like that person, you know, that person's a smart put together person. If they think that about me, then it must be those things and claim them for yourself. You know, I think a huge part of what we go through is we get so caught up in our past. And what we really need to do is, is be in the present and focus on the future. Absolutely, because you can't, the, the past is already gone, but it, you know, our brain and our body kind of tries to protect us and the protection may be at a level that we don't let really good people in. Like to your point, and I love that frame, right? If I'm not feeling it and I'm, I'm trying to recover from uh, something, interview the people around you that love you. Right. <laughs> And say, tell me, tell me how you see me, right? Because that gives you a reflective lens to potentially with time say, wow, crab is kind or crab is, um, you know, she's gentle. And then you may not feel it at that point, but you know that other people see it. So that yeah. means that you need to just work on yourself so that you can eventually uh, recognize that what they're seeing is real. And that's where the work kind of comes. Right. Yeah. I think that the last thing is just like, it's very hard to be vulnerable because people are afraid of being hurt. But to ask people, because some people will look at you like, oh, you're just a narcissist. You just want to be you know, built up. But if you tell people where you're at before you ask them that question, if you say, you know, I'm having a really, really hard time and this is why, they're more likely to understand and to really be uh, genuine in what it is that they, that they tell you. Well, this has been, uh, this has been uh, such an inspiring uh, time with you, Karab. Now, for people um, that want to hear more, tell them about the podcast. Uh, we will include um, the link that you'll give us in the show notes, but tell them where they can listen and, uh, and where they can go to hold of you if they wanted more. 
Sure. So everything I do is on age out, rise up. So age out is the term that they use when, when you've left foster care without being adopted or returning home. So it's age out, rise up. And that is a podcast, a blog. It's going to be a YouTube channel. My plan is to launch um, on Mother's Day uh, just to give people a voice that um, on the other side of Mother's Day. Uh, and you can always email me at ageoutriseup um, at gmail.com. And I also have a Facebook group, Age Out Rise Up Community. Awesome. Awesome. So for everyone, uh, you know, I listen and I, I think, you know, what can anyone do? Whether you're a leader or you're a friend um, or you're, you know, you're recognizing that all you can do is to just be gentle and kind. And don't assume you know. Um, what someone's going through. It could be something very small or, or, or something quite big. But I think in that gentleness and kindness and uh, from Karab's perspective is, you know, in, being, in creating that space and holding that space for someone, what you really do is they allow their our ability to be human and connected. And that person can feel that space and how you can help them. And that also speaks to their heart that says, someone cares and maybe I can take that step to reach out to get the help that I need. So thanks again so much, Kareb. For anyone needing any more information um, on mental health and wellness, you know I'm a keynote speaker, a trainer, and a coach, and I can be reached at roxanderhodge.com. So take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhaj.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.